This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. Let us read a couple of verses from Ephesians 2, well-known verses 8 to 9. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Let me begin this evening with a few questions. How many good works did the pre-Christian philosophers, Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates, perform? How many good works were performed in the pre-Christian societies of ancient Greece and Rome? And the answer is, Zero. How many good works do unbelieving musicians perform when they organize a charity concert to raise money for starving children in Africa? How many good works do unbelieving actors perform when they put on a charity pantomime to support the work of a local children's hospital? The answer is zero. How many good works does the Mormon Tabernacle Choir perform when they sing Handel's Messiah or Mendelssohn's Elijah? How many good works do Buddhists perform when they chant in their monasteries? How many good works are performed when Roman Catholics make a pilgrimage to Lourdes or to Fatima? The answer is still zero. How many good works does a devoted atheistic pediatrician perform when he develops a treatment for childhood leukemia or when an atheistic surgeon saves a young girl's life through complex cardiac surgery? And again, the answer is zero. None of the examples listed so far in this speech are good works. None of the examples are good works in the sight of God. Each of the works listed so far in the speech is displeasing to God for reasons I will explain in this speech, because this speech is entitled, What are Good Works? There's much confusion among Christians about the identity of good works. Every religion known to man has a place for good works. Every religion teaches that good works are necessary. Most religions teach their adherents to perform 
good works. Most religions teach that good works make us acceptable to God and that they contribute something to salvation. And many people in Ireland today believe that salvation will be based upon individual performance. If you have performed a sufficient quantity and a sufficient quality of good works, we are told, God will save you. If your sins outnumber or outweigh your good works, you will not be saved. And on Judgment Day, so we are told, God has a set of scales. Into one side, God will place all of your sins. It will go down a certain amount because of the weight of your sins. And on the other side, God will place all of your good works. And the hope is that the scales will balance or even that the good works will outnumber and outweigh the sins. And most people are reasonably confident that their good works will outnumber and outweigh their sins. Is that your hope this evening? Is that going to be your defense when you meet God one day? Yes, I have done some things wrong. But on balance, I have been better than most. Yes, I have sinned, but my good works are many and my sins are relatively few. That is, the confession of many, if not most, of the people in Ireland. And that is the confession of a fool. Of a fool. If you plan to stand before God one day and utter that as your defense, you will be destroyed. The reason there is confusion about good works is because we are using, many of us, the wrong standard in measuring good works. If we were trying to please other people with our good works, perhaps a lower standard would be appropriate. If the definition of a good work were an activity that helps other people, or an activity that contributes to the good of society, then many of the works I listed at the beginning of the lecture could be classified as good works. But a good work must meet God's standard. For something to be a genuinely good work, it must meet what God says a good work is. Because God has a standard. Here's God's standard in Galatians 3 verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not 
in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And those words are uncompromising. Do the things written in the book of the law. Do all the things which are written in the book of the law. Continue to do all of the things which are written in the book of the law. And if you do not, and if you then come to God trusting in your performance, you are, says Paul in Galatians 3 verse 10, you are under the curse. And you cannot be saved if you are under the curse. Here are the words of James 2 verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. It's an all or nothing standard. Have you kept some of God's commandments? Have you kept one of God's commandments? Have you kept five out of ten of God's commandments? Have you kept nine out of ten of God's commandments? And even if you did manage to keep nine out of ten of God's commandments, James says, if you keep the whole law, but offend in one point, you are guilty of all. You're guilty of breaking all of God's commandments. And in fact, there is no one who can say, I have kept nine out of ten or eight out of ten. In fact, all of us have broken all of them over and over and over again. And besides that, the commandments of God are not external. The Irish government might be satisfied if you keep the law externally. If you avoid doing those external actions which would constitute crimes. But God is only satisfied if you keep his law both externally and internally. If you keep his law and at the same time you love him. Here's God's demand in Matthew 22, 37-39. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So if you have perhaps done some outwardly moral activities, but while doing those things, you have not loved God from the heart and loved your neighbor as yourself. You have still not met God's standard. And let me ask you another question. Laying aside your supposed good works for a moment, how many sins have you committed? Even according to your own standard, do your good works really outnumber and really outweigh your sins? Or are you living 
under a delusion if you think that. Make a quick calculation. Do you sin in your mind, with your tongue, and in your deeds ten times a day? Let's just take ten times per day as a rough figure. If you do, you sin 3,650 times a year. And if you live to age 70, you have sinned 255,500 times. 10 times a day for 70 years. And do you really think that any good works that you might be able to do will make amends for 255,500 sins? And that is only a very conservative estimate. We have actually committed many, many more sins than that, besides the fact that we are sinful in our very natures. And that means salvation by good works is a non-starter. It's a dangerous delusion to think that you, as a human being who is a sinner, could possibly offer up what you call good works to God as the ground for your salvation. The Bible gives three qualifications of a good work. And if these three qualifications are not met, that work is disqualified in God's sight from being called a good work. That work is not pleasing to God. That work might help other people. That work might even contribute to the betterment of society. But that doesn't matter. The issue is, does that work please God? And a good work has three qualifications. It has a standard, it has a source, and it has a goal. A standard, a source, and a goal. First of all, the standard for a good work is the law of God. For something to be counted as a good work, God must have commanded it and required it in his law. And that's where many candidates for good works fall at the first hurdle. Because if you look at them, you'll discover that they're not actually commanded by God, but they are inventions of men. And God says about many of these works what he said to the Jews in Isaiah 1 verse 11. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Who told you to bring this to me? Who told you that I would be pleased by this work? False religions have invented many works which they call good, but which God has not required. Think of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They had invented many so-called good works. They performed, for example, elaborate hand washings before meals. But they neglected 
the actual commandments of God. And if a work is performed in disobedience to God's commandments, it is obviously enough not a good work either. It is a sinful work, even if it appears to be splendid in the sight of men. Think of Saul, the first king of Israel. He performed what he believed to be a good work. He offered a sacrifice to God, but he neglected to keep God's commandments. And the prophet Samuel's response to him was sharp. Listen to what he says. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. An application closer to home for us is this. No amount of seeming piety, whether prayers or Bible reading or theological study or church attendance, justifies you from neglecting God's commandments. For example, a man who refuses to support his family through honest work does not do a good work when instead of that he spends all day studying theology. Or a woman who neglects her children does not do a good work when she witnesses to her neighbors instead or spends all day delivering tracts. Or a person who abandons his wife and children to preach the gospel, to be a missionary, let's say, displeases God because God's commandment to him is not to preach the gospel. God's commandment to him is to love his wife and to care for his family. If he can do both, well. But do not think, you can neglect God's commandments and then invent some good work to cover up your disobedience. Do what God commands. That's the first qualification of a good work. The second qualification of a good work is its source. The source of a good work is faith. Good works proceed from a heart of faith. And by definition, therefore, an unbeliever who doesn't have faith cannot do any good works because the works of an unbeliever proceed from a wicked, unbelieving heart. Romans 14, 23, Paul declares, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now the reference there is not to any unbeliever outside of the church, but the reference there is to a hesitating, doubting believer. 
If what is done out of hesitating, doubting unbelief from the heart of an actual believer is sin, what is done by an outright unbeliever is most certainly sin. And that means that if an unbeliever outwardly does the same thing that a believer does, and both activities look the same to the world, the unbeliever does not do a good work because his work is done out of unbelief. An atheist might discover the cure for childhood cancer after many years of devoted study and research. It's done out of unbelief. A Mormon might sing in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. It's done out of unbelief. A Buddhist might sacrifice his life to save a friend. It is done out of unbelief. An unbelieving singer might donate millions to a charitable foundation. It is done out of unbelief. Your unbelieving colleague at work might give you a lift home on a rainy afternoon. It is done out of unbelief. Your unbelieving mother might have lovingly and devotedly brought you up. Everything she did for you was done out of unbelief. And therefore, none of those things are, according to God, good works. Only believers can perform good works, therefore. And all the works of an unbeliever are, to use the words of Augustine, splendid sins or glittering vices. That's why Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates never performed any good works. They were unbelievers. That's why the cultures of pre-Christian Greece and Rome never performed any good works. Everything in that society was done out of unbelief. And if you are an unbeliever tonight, God's word says to you, you have never in your entire life performed even one good work. And if you were to stand before God with those imaginary scales, in one side would be all of your sins, in the good works side there would be nothing. Nothing. In the good works column there would be zero works. In Acts 15, verse 9, Peter said that God, quote, purified our hearts by faith. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, Paul wrote, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus on two good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In Titus 2, 14, Paul writes that Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, 
zealous of good works. Christ himself said in Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. An unbeliever is, to use the words of Christ, a corrupt tree. And a corrupt tree cannot produce any good fruit. And therefore, an unbeliever cannot produce any good works. They do not come forth from an unbeliever. They only come forth from a believer. And that's because God has transformed an unbeliever into a believer. First, you must become a believer by the grace of God. And then, and only then, will you perform good works. Many good works. The good works which God has ordained and prepared for his people to do. God's people will be, called, will be because of his grace, zealous for many good works. The standard is the law of God. The source is a heart of faith. And the goal of a good work is the glory of God. And therefore, the full definition of a good work is this. An activity performed in obedience to God's commandments out of true faith and to the glory of God. That's a good work. Man views a work and pronounces it good because he looks upon the external. But God sees the heart and God sees the motivation behind the work and he judges, was that work performed in order to glorify me? That's the issue. Was that work performed in order to glorify God? The glory of God is the shining forth of God's many perfections. And to glorify God, therefore, is to make known his power and wisdom and goodness and holiness and justice and truth. To glorify God is to praise God for his perfections. To glorify God is to lead others to and to encourage others to, to praise God for his perfections. That must be our goal when we perform our works. If it's not our goal, then our works are not good. When Paul says about these works that we are to perform as believers, even the mundane things in life, even the simple tasks of life must be performed to the glory of God. Here's 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Here's Ephesians 6, 5 and 6. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, 
as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And that means that in practice, in everything that you do, great or small, you must seek to please God. Not to please yourself, not to improve the world, not to please other people, but to please God. When you eat, this must be your motivation as you sit down to eat, not, I hope I enjoy this food. It's lawful, of course, to enjoy your food. But your real motivation must be this, I am eating this food and I am drinking this drink with the intention and the prayer that in so doing I will please God and I will be able to use the strength which I derive from eating and drinking to serve God. And God forbid that I should eat my food and then use the strength given to me from that food to serve sin. Then I am mocking the God who gave to me that food. When you wash dishes or keep your home tidy, you must do so not merely out of a sense of decency and self-respect, but you must do so because you are seeking to please God. For God is a God of order. When you change a dirty nappy, you must do so not merely because you love your children, and you ought to love your children, but you're doing so because you desire to praise God. You desire to glorify God even in something as mundane and maybe even unpleasant as changing a baby's nappy. And if you have any other motivation for your works, to please myself, to impress other people, to make the world a better place, and you don't remember God, you've spoiled that work. And that work is no longer a good work. It could have been a good work, but you spoiled it by your wrong motivation. Does an atheist Pursue a cure for cancer. Why? For the benefit of mankind. But not for the glory of God. Why does an unbelieving singer perform in a charity concert for the hungry? To impress others by, for his generosity perhaps? For the benefit of mankind? but not for the glory of God. Why does your unbelieving colleague give you a lift home on a rainy day? Is it out of a sense of duty? Is it a desire to be nice? Is it out of a natural affection for you? But it's not for the glory of God. Why do men perform moral works? Why do men and women avoid immoral or criminal acts? Out of pride, 
self-seeking, fear, self-preservation, to avoid shame, or for some other reason, but not for the glory of God, which means that they're not good works. In fact, an unbeliever has fallen at all three hurdles. His works are not performed in obedience to God. He's not even thinking about God's commandments as he performs these works. His works are not performed out of faith. And his works are not performed to God's glory. And therefore, their works are not good. Now I should clear up a misunderstanding here. Because you might be thinking to yourself, if an unbeliever does something outwardly moral or helpful out of sinful unbelief, does it mean he would be better off doing something immoral and cruel? Either way, is it not true that they're evil works? They're not good works, they must be evil works. If a Mormon sings in Handel's Messiah out of unbelief and not to the glory of God, would it be better for her to stay at home and watch pornography? If an unbelieving doctor saves the life of a child out of unbelief and not to the glory of God, would it be better for him to kill children in an abortion clinic? If your colleague gives you a lift home out of unbelief and without even a second thought about God's glory, would it be better for him to run you over in his car? If an unbelieving mother cares for her child out of unbelief and not for the glory of God, would it be better for her to abandon, neglect, or abuse her child? And obviously the answer is no. Absolutely not. The difference there is not between a good work and a bad work, but between two evil works, one evil work being worse and more wicked than the other evil work. God will judge both unbelievers. He will judge the outwardly moral unbeliever who does not perform his works to the glory of God, and he will judge the deliberately immoral and cruel unbeliever who also does not do his works to the glory of God, and both will be judged according to their works. But neither of them will be saved on the basis of their works because all of their works are sins and none of their works are good. Both of those unbelievers are displeasing to God but one is more displeasing to God than the other. To neglect common decency and morality is worse than at least to have some semblance of outward morality and common decency. 
Where then does that leave us this evening? If you are an unbeliever, it leaves you with this. You cannot perform any good works. And therefore, it is impossible for you to save yourself. And that's why Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation must be by grace, and by grace alone. And grace is God's generous good favor shown to guilty sinners. In God's grace, he sent his son into the world. And his son performed all of the works necessary for the salvation of his people. We could perform none. He perfectly kept God's commandments. He perfectly fulfilled the demands of God's law. And he went to the cross in order to pay for all of the transgressions of his people. And to prove it, he rose again from the dead. And then he gives the Holy Spirit to those who believe in him. And by the power of that Holy Spirit, believers are able to perform good works. They're able to begin to obey God's commandments. They're able to obey God's commandments out of a believing heart. And they're able to do these acts in accordance with God's commandments out of a believing heart to the glory of God. That's one of the reasons why God saved them. Notice verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. That's the goal. When God created us in Christ Jesus by his grace, his goal was that we should perform good works. Not good works to save ourselves, not good works to contribute to our salvation, but good works which would be the fruit of our salvation. He has prepared them for us to do. And says Paul elsewhere in Titus 2, He has made us to be a people who are zealous for those works. Do not therefore expect good works from an unbeliever. That's impossible. But do expect good works from a believer. Because God has saved the believer so that he should produce those good works. Many good works. Good works done to the glory of God. And so the call of the gospel is believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And the fruit of that salvation shall be this. You shall be thankful and you shall begin to perform good works. Many good works in obedience to God's commandments, 
out of true faith and to the glory of the God who saved you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.